Good morning. This morning's scripture is from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will just fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So we've been in a series uh, called Battleground, and uh, we're on the final piece, the sword of the spirit. Now, if you've been tracking with us thus far, and I hope you have been, uh, if you don't, there are messages recorded, and uh, Curtis has been crushing it, so I, I'd want you to go back and hear those. But if you've been tracking with the different pieces of, this, of the armor that we have, uh, you'll notice one thing about them, and you'll notice something different about today's. And so we've had shoes, and we've had helmets, and we've had shields, and we've had belts, uh, but today we have a sword. And so you can see that one of these things is not like the other. One's not the same. This one is unique. All of them are geared toward a defensive stand, but today we have a weapon. Now, the sword analogy really isn't surprising to us, given what's come before, since we're kind of scoping out armor. But, but what Paul has in mind, briefly, is uh, a Roman short sword, about two feet long, normally double-edged, really, really sharp, uh, perfect for very, very close combat. It's paired conceptually with the helmet, and, and both of these are kind of like set aside by they have their own command, take or receive. So receive the helmet, receive the sword. If you think about that, we've been talking about head-to-toe armor. Well, the helmet, of course, is the head. Then what is coming out of our mouth? The sword. And kind of connected conceptually as well. If you think about a, a soldier that's ready for battle, I mean, they, they, are, they have the armor on, but the last thing they're going to grab is going to be the helmet because it's, it's heavy and it's, it's uncomfortable. And finally, before the imminent conflict, out comes the sword. And so what we can draw from this analogy is that, first of all, spiritual conflict is imminent. And second of all, it's going to be close personal work. It's going to feel personal because it is. The Matthew 4 account that we read of the temptation of Jesus perfectly illustrates sword work. Uh, it, is, it is just a, a fantastic story in which our champion, the only perfect man, 
faces the ancient foe, and at the end, when the dust settles, there's only one of them left standing on the battlefield, and that's our Savior. So briefly, I'd like to consider that passage for just a moment, because it's, kind of, it's going to give us the framework that we look at how we use the sword. And so we're going to consider just three elements of effective spiritual combat. Now, from the passage that Lexi just read, I'd like you to note three phrases, and here they are. It is written, and that is, that is said three different times, led by the Spirit, and, and the tempter said. Now, these are the elements of effective combat. Despite Jesus' perfect pedigree, okay, so he, he had a messianic pedigree. He, he was the coming Messiah. Despite his pedigree, despite the fact that he is said to have authority in himself, uh, people marveled at his teaching. Like he had authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. He wasn't quoting a bunch of things. He was speaking as he had authority. So we know that he has a great pedigree. He has got all authority. Yet when it comes time to parry the enemy's thrust, he uses the written word of God, the scripture of his day. And so the first effective use in spiritual combat is using scripture. Now, second, I want you to know the phrase, he was led by the spirit. Now, this is really, really important. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So here we have Jesus there by appointment. And who booked it? The Holy Spirit. Now that's important because he was given, I mean, the very, very first attack when he was hungry was for him to turn stones into bread. And what that was was a temptation to short circuit this testing that his father wanted him to undergo. And so, so he was saying, like, it's like, you can get out of this right now. But he knew that he was there by appointment because he was led by the Spirit. And so the second element of effective combat is trusting the Spirit. The third element we'll see in the phrase, and the tempter said, and then over and over it says some variation of, but he answered. Christ anticipated the appeal to his weakened state. He knew that Satan was going to go after him physically because he was weakened. Uh, Satan uh, was actually suggesting, yeah, go ahead and make this bread. But Jesus heard, this is a bad plan, Father. So, so he was ready for that. Later on, Satan starts quoting scripture as well. But the thing is, when he quotes from Psalm 91, he omits a very, very key phrase about the will of God. And so the thing that he tempts Jesus to do is outside the will of God. And so, so Jesus says that that is presumption. And finally, he spotted this, this, um, this use of scripture from Satan. And so this third thing that we need to be looking out for in spiritual combat is, is knowing your enemy. Okay, so using scripture, trusting the spirit, and knowing your enemy. And so now we're going to look at Ephesians six seventeen, which says simply, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Effective spiritual combat uses scripture. The sword of the spirit is explained to be the word of God. Now, this explains why it's a sword. It's a sword that is devastatingly effective against humans, uh, reasoning, and demons alike because it is the word of God. It is, that's what makes it effective. It's effective because it comes out of God's mouth. 
Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says this in the, in the account that we just looked at, that we live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The very fact that it came from the mouth of God is what gives it its power. The focus is not the fact that it's recorded, though we're grateful it is. The focus is not on the fact that, that it is preached, which we're glad that it is. But the focus is on the quality that these words have because they came out of God's mouth. Now, you don't have to look very far to find the connection between God being God and the power of his words. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 captures this, where he says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I shall accomplish all my purpose. We see that God's words are powerful because he is a powerful God. They are unique because he says, I am unique. I am like no other. And so that quality carries to these words. These words determine the future. It's not just foreseeing it. It's actually determining the future. Uh, he has purpose. He says, my purpose will stand. And so this is not random stuff. When God speaks words, he does it to a certain end. And he says that they will always be effective. They will never be thwarted. And so those are the qualities of this word that come from the mouth of God. And so, and so we get to actually use these words and they take on those qualities. When we use scripture in spiritual combat, we do so with the knowledge that these came out of God's mouth for, first and they're going to accomplish his purpose. And so really our job is to let the words do their work. Now, this actually leads us to something, another observation about the words that we can find in our passage, and, and that is that they are most effective when they are specific divine sayings. And so when it says, this is the word of God, there are two commonly wor used words for word in scripture, logos, and then the word that is in this passage. The first one is a little bit more general. Both of these refer to revelation. Uh, and, and, but one of them is a little bit more like the whole of the word of God. It's more the substance. The word that's used in our passage is a little bit more specific. It's actually focused on the grammar of it. Uh, it could be, we could say that it is an utterance or a divine saying. I once heard expressed this way, that when we fight and we use the word of God, we were, use a word from the word. So th something specific from the whole of Revelation. So when we are in a spiritual battle, what is needed is a specific divine saying. I'd like to give you five examples of divine sayings that are useful for battle. You're dealing with anxiety. And so you have got that, that, that knot in your stomach. It is rising up in you. You've been in its grip before. And what comes to your mind? Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It tells you what to do. It tells you who can do something about it. And you begin to grapple with your anxiety. What about fear? I don't know how many times I've said this to children in a dark room when it says in Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, God. This is a good one for adults and uh, college students and teens alike. 
when you're facing peer pressure. Somebody is pushing on you to do something that you know is not right. Proverbs 1.10, my son or my daughter, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And those words can, can steal you for the conflict. What about speech? You said, I've got such a sharp tongue. I, I struggle with it. And I go into and I mess up relationships with it. And, and you want to say what you're thinking, but then all of a sudden, a soft answer turns away wrath. But harsh words stir up anger. You're facing a temptation. And you feel like this temptation is unique to me. Like nobody else has this exactly like me. And I'm not even sure that there is a way of out, way out. And all of a sudden it comes to you, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I tell you, if you can put your hand on one of these swords, then, then the battle is, is, is won. I actually had a, a sister uh, after the other service give me a pro tip where she just said, she said, it's, it's, it's more effective if you actually speak it. Like you, you are alone and you speak it because the words that have uttered out of the mouth of God are now coming out of your mouth being used against the enemy. And I thought that was a, a wonderful, wonderful tip. And so here we have just an amazing truth, an amazing truth that God has purposed to use words to crush our enemy. One of the commentators made a note that I just, I thought was, was really wonderful. He says this, that utterance should be the sword which the demon host flees is one of the surprising facts of scripture revelation. Think about that. We would not know that it was words that we use for spiritual battle unless God has told us that that was the case. We may think that, you know, it's going to take some kind of, you know, Dr. Strange stuff or some talisman or, or a spell or, or some ritual or, or, or something with which I can do fight with battle. And it's like it's words. It's words. Since they, the enemies, are intangible because they are spirit forces the opposite of blood and flesh, we must have a weapon that is able to crush these hosts, and this is it. You know, when an enemy is seemingly unseen and undefeatable, we may just kind of overlook something very, very powerful that is, is available to us. I remember a couple of years ago when we were looking for solutions uh, to the norovirus in the preschool hallway. Um, it was like, what, what options do we have to keep these kids safe? And it turns out uh, that it was bleach. A very, very common chemical. It was in every laundry room, yet it took one tablespoon for one gallon of water, and you had a solution that was 100% effective against this virus if you, if you soak it and let it dry. And, and so you have this, this, this common, common thing that was right there in front of us, and that was the solution. Well, the difference here is uh, we're not going to dilute God's word. You use it full strength. The, the less altered, the better it is. We can dilute it sometimes by, by being careless of context or, or not even knowing, you know, uh, the sense of it. We can, we can use, dilute it by misusing words, um, twisting or omitting them, being so vague. Um, so whenever possible, let's use it undiluted. Let's, let's have access to scripture. 
So effective spiritual combat uses scripture, divine sayings. Next, effective spiritual combat trusts the spirit. We notice in our verse it says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Well, the spirit, uh, if you think that spirit is something that's, you know, kind of fuzzy and just means like, you know, from my heart, you know, that, that's, that's the wrong idea. The spirit is talking about a person, the third person of the Trinity. So if you, if you um, do a survey of scripture, then you're going to find out uh, that the spirit is very, very much a person. He has got a will. He has got a will for you. Uh, he, he has emotions. He can be grieved. Uh, he is a person who, when you pray and you don't even have the right words, he comes alongside of you and he, he lifts your prayers up and he translates them. This, this is a translator, a person. Jesus, when he was comforting his disciples about his impending departure, he said, I'm going to send another comforter. Um, that means like another one just like me. And so when we see the sword of the Spirit, we're talking about a person. It says that the sword is of the Spirit. A way that we could phrase that is the sword which is provided by the Spirit. He's the source of it. He's the origin of it. A a sword that comes from the Spirit. Now, since it comes from Him, it takes on certain qualities as well. Since He is Spirit, it takes on invincible qualities in the spiritual arena is explained to be the word of God in the next phrase. Thus, reliance on the word is the way that we wield this sword that is provided by the Spirit. You know, Jesus did demonstrate that in multiple ways. We already noted that, that he, he, um, he, he leaned on the scripture of his day, even though he had authority in himself. We, we, we noted that he, is, he was led by the Spirit. Um, the, the reason he stayed in that excruciating temptation was because he trusted the Spirit. And you can just see Jesus' confidence in the power of that word by, by the fact when Satan says, then Jesus answers, and then it ends, and it moves on to the next one until finally he says, be gone, Satan. Because both he knew and Satan knew that when you use the sword of the Spirit, that it is the final answer. Now, like Jesus, we can use a word from the word. Now, that's intimidating, actually. Uh, If you're like me, you've forgotten more scripture than you know right now. Or you may say, like, boy, I don't even have a background. Uh, Maybe you went through confirmation class, or maybe there's Sunday school way back in your your history, but you're kind of new to all this, and you're like, "I, I I can't have the mastery that Jesus has. Yeah, none of us can. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But here is where there's this, this very, very comforting aspect of the Spirit's role. The Spirit is a teacher. Um, Jesus comforted his disciples about his departure, and here, here is what he said about the Spirit. First of all, he called him the Spirit of truth. And then he called him a helper, an advocate, one who comes alongside But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, the primary context there is is for his disciples. I mean, he says, I'm leaving. And then he says, but this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to to bring everything to mind that you need to pass on. And, and, And this is where we get our scripture But there's a secondary application, and that is for anybody who is a follower of Jesus. 
that the Holy Spirit is going to be helping you, teaching you, bringing things to mind. If you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to speak truth to somebody, whether that's a counseling situation or just a friend that you're coming alongside, uh, many of you have probably had this experience where you're, you're trying to express a truth to them, and then all of a sudden, Scripture starts coming out that you're like, I didn't plan that. And, and it just like keeps coming forth, like God's words actually start coming out. Guys, what that is, is the Holy Spirit in his teaching role. I probably couldn't have even planned that out, but that is him helping and teaching and bringing things to mind. Now, the effect this has on me is, is that it gives me the courage to try. Because if I think that I'm in a spiritual arena with, with demons and Satan and temptations, and I'm alone, well, but guys, we have the third person of the Trinity indwelling us, empowering us, and bringing things to mind. And that is somebody in our corner as we engage in this. Effective spiritual combat, it uses the word divine sayings. It trusts the spirit who was our teacher. It also knows the enemy. Earlier, uh, verse 11, 12 told us about the nature of the enemy, that, that he is not flesh and blood, okay? So we, we can't wrestle him down. We can't, we can't break out the spreadsheet. We can't pull out a to-do list. We can't reason our way out of this. This is spiritual warfare. One of, one of my favorite authors, Paul David Tripp, in his uh, really awesome book on suffering, uh, makes this note. He says, I, I'm always a bit distressed when I hear someone talking of spiritual warfare as if it's an unusual, exotic, and weirdly dark fringe of the Christian life. The reality is that spiritual warfare is mundane, normal Christianity, because our hearts are always a battleground between fear and faith, between doubt and hope, and between what is true and what is false. When we're seeking to know our enemy, I think a good place to start is the fact that we have to look for him in our daily fight for faith. Not every temptation is, is obvious. I think for every uh, temptation to cheat on your spouse or to look at something impure, there's probably umpteen temptations to believe lies, right, that sails at the level of our motivations. This struck me during uh, this series of messages called uh, Battleground. I looked over my notes, and I just noticed how subtle and ongoing this battle is. It is nothing less than a fightful fight for faith. Um, I, as I was looking over it, I saw different temptations that we have looked at. One of them is uncritically consuming truth claims without filtering them. That's a temptation. And that is the belt of truth. To be right in my own eyes and to make my own standards. That is, a, that is the breastplate of righteousness. I need to take God's standards. I need to take Christ's righteousness. Uh, another temptation is to live to myself and alienate other people. That's the gospel shoes of peace. Another, the shield of faith is rather than using that would be to be confident in my own goodness, my own wisdom, my own power. The helmet of salvation it defends us against the temptation to, to not recognize my need, not to realize that I need saved from something. You see, all of these, you see how subtle those are. These are things that, that the Satan, Satan brings them into our life and tempts us to believe so many lies. Uh, and this is where just even knowledge of the gospel can be so helpful. Many temptations fly at our beliefs and our motivations, and we just don't even realize how much of the battle is waved here, waged here. But the enemy does. 
I uh, had a, a spiritual warrior on my side uh, that actually she, she really, really understood the nature of the battle. Uh, this was my grandma. Um, she, on my mother's side, uh, lived up in New England. And, uh, and my grandma would, there was a period of my life before Ogletown where we were trying to church plant in an inner, inner city uh, up in Boston. And so I would sometimes go up and I would give uh, grandma updates. And I would be sitting in her old-fashioned uh, kitchen, uh, really, really outdated at her, you know, for my table. And I would just be giving her updates. And, and I would be, be saying like, man, the churches are not doing missions giving. I mean, the, the economy is really bad. I mean, so it just, the, it was a recession and everything. And you know what, people just don't understand the needs that are in the inner city. And, and like, oh man, my son's Titus is, we can't get the services that we need for him. And, and the education with the kids is hard. And man, I'm having a hard time, you know, you know providing, you know, savings and just, just so on and so forth. And she would listen really, really um, patiently. And then she would say something like this. She called me Evie. You're allowed to call me Evie if you're over 76. So she would say, Evie, don't forget to pray. Or she'd say, Evie, God will supply your needs. He's always provided mine. Or she'd say, Evie, just seek first the kingdom of God. She recognized that I was in a battle for my faith. Even though my mind was filled with plans and strategies and logistics and, and all that stuff, she saw this for what it was, a battle for faith. Now, that's one way that we can know the enemy. Just realize that that's the way he's going to come at us most often. But a lot of times, he comes at us with temptations that look like temptations. Now, if you're familiar with 1 John, uh, these would fall into those classic categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so, um, I'd like to put a, a chart up here. He, he actually went at Jesus with similar categories of temptations, and Jesus encountered and recognized these. Satan's words were, command these stones to become bread. Well, Jesus recognized that for what it was. Number one, it was, it was an attack at the physical level of what he was. He was hungry right then. But here's what Jesus heard, you're starving. What kind of cruel father would want you in this condition? End it. You have the power to end it now. And so Satan kind of riffed on that, that, that temptation to give into a physical appetite. In Satan's words, throw yourself down from the temple. Uh, the, the temptation there was uh, enough of this back 40 stuff. You're the Messiah. Go up wherever can see you. Make God take care of you like, like he said he would. And it was an appeal to power and glory. In his words, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. What was implied in that was you can skip the cross. I can give you all the glory without the pain right now. And Jesus knew that that was an appeal to power and glory and his personal gain. And guys, Satan will take those three categories and he will just, he will just pull them out over and over in our lives. We need to learn to recognize them. As we seek to know the enemy, I, I think we need to note one other thing, and that he's limited. Uh, in that temptation, Jesus did what Adam and Eve failed to do. He gave them temptations, and they bought it hook, line, and seeker, and sinker. And actually, if you read that account, they fall into those categories as well. And so where they failed, our champion 
did not fail. And that is the time, like at the cross, I mean, when he says, I saw Satan falling from heaven, um, it means like he is in a panic. And what happened to the cross is that death blow has happened. Now, Satan is still fl- you know, flailing around, making all kinds of trouble, but, but he, he is done. And that's what our champion did for us. So when we approach this enemy, we do it in Jesus' name, using God's word, so we can stand firm. So the command that we've looked at today is to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we're kind of, we're kind of faced with a decision. Are, are we going to get serious about using the Word or having access to it so we can fight our enemies? Um, you know, we, are, we have a decision. I was just thinking about, you know, if not this, if I'm not going to use the Word, what? Uh, let's just imagine that you've got a really uh, large task ahead of you. Let's just say that you're, you're going to sew a costume you know, and you decide you don't have a, 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 a sewing machine, and so you're using like a needle and thread for this entire thing, or, or you're going to try to, to dethatch, you know, a half an acre yard, and you're doing it with a rake, you know, and somebody gets wind of, of you trying to do this with something really, really ineffective, and they say, here, take my sewing machine, or, or here, take my power rake, you know, and uh, put it on the, the back of your tractor, and, and you're, you're asking yourself, should I take the power rake? And you're like, well, duh, yeah. But, but the thing is, you can think of reasons that you wouldn't. Like, I'm comfortable with this rake. I don't know if the power rake will fit on my tractor. Um, I don't know if I want to make that much of a mess. Maybe I just want this little. You know, you, we can come up with all kinds of reasons. But the truth is, if we decide not to take the effective tool, it's because we think that we've got another solution. Um, so what I, one thing I do know is this. The opposite of take the sword of the spirit is probably leave the sword of the Spirit. The opposite of receive the sword of the Spirit would be to reject the sword of the Spirit. You know, and so if I, if I do not get serious about this, then basically I have a plan, but it's not the plan that God has given to me. There's a few questions that I want to consider, and, and these will be on the, uh, the Battleground webpage for... Uh, you know, for the devotions. The first question is this. Is there some way that I need to adjust my scripture in, intake to give me more access to specific divine sayings? Um, guys, I am not downplaying uh, listening to the word of God just on, you know, in large quantities. I am not downplaying uh, listening to the radio and, and wonderful Christian music. I'm not downplaying the importance of listening to preaching, but, but, but what are you doing so that, that these phrases will come to mind when you need them? What material are you giving the Holy Spirit to work with as, as you battle? Uh, we, are, we have an absolute embarrassment of riches. And so you can approach this any number of ways, with just like the open Bible on the kitchen table, with note cards. A couple of things I found helpful recently, um, Pastor Champ has a podcast uh, called In the Word on the Go. And uh, it's, it's 10 minutes uh, where one person thinks about a passage of scripture and they just talk about it for, for seven to 10 minutes. Um, and, and so my, my kids hear this every day going to work. I don't, I mean, to school. I don't know if uh, it's sinking in, but it's just one more opportunity. Uh, there are scripture memory programs. Uh, one of them is it's called Fighter Verses. It, it was connected to John Piper's ministry. Now it's something called Truth 78. And uh, there, there are apps for uh, all of our phones. 
Uh, but I mean, so I mean, you can play these things on loop. They make up these silly little songs. I mean, I had one just like, just like I, I, all night long. I woke up and it was still going. This this dumb little song. But but guys, we've got these 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 opportunities, and so those are on that that website as well. Um, some of your kids are memorizing sword Bible memory, so uh, in their Sunday school class. So ask them about it. They can bring home a sheet. Maybe you can work on it together. Uh, so is there some way that I need to adjust my scripture intake? Second question, does my use of the word of God demonstrate that I believe that it has sword-like qualities for crushing spiritual enemies? And do my friends and family know that I believe that? Do people see me casting about for scripture to bring to bear? And then when I do bring it to bear, is it kind of like, and that's final? Then finally, Am I able to spot variations on categories of temptation? Uh, we need to be able to see them so that we can meet with them. So the truth is, there's only one aspect of our armor that will drive the enemy from the field so that you and I are left standing, battled, bruised and bloody, but standing alone on that battlefield. So that is the truth. And here is a word from the apostle James. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm praying today that this will land on us. That this week we will find one way in which we change our scripture intake. That we trust the spirit and that we are on a sharper lookout for the enemy. Would you pray with me? Father, there is none like you. You are unique. We know that you have the power to determine the future. You knew it from the beginning. Your words are powerful, that your purpose stands, that you have counsel, or there's nothing random in what you do, that you have blessed us with your words, that they proceeded out of your mouth and that you preserve them for us so that they can proceed from our mouth as well. Father, we thank you for the Spirit. Thank you that you haven't left us alone, that he is with us, that he is bringing truth to mind, that he will help us as we try to get our minds around it. Father, we thank you so much for our champion, Jesus. Lord, who fought how we could not, who won, who damaged the enemy, who struck him that blow so that we know that when we stand that, that we can do so in his name. Father, we thank you for these things and we pray this in Christ's name, amen.